0: On a journey today, who's ready for go on a journey? You're awake. All right, we're good. We're awake. You're ready to go on a journey. Yes. Wow, right? I tell you what, that's that is fire to my soul right there. That is. If you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the Book of First John, chapter four and verse seven. We're going to read a, a lengthy piece of scripture. It's around this concept of love. I want you to turn to your neighbour this morning to start with and ask neighbor, what are you full of? What are you full of? What are you full of? You can take that a number of different ways. What are you, what are you full of? As we enter the Christmas season, it's a very important question for us to ask. What are we full of? This scripture will help us to understand what God wants us to be full of. In verse John, chapter 4, verse 7 and following, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. I'm not sure he's getting his point across. What do you think? And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and it shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. We love each other because he loves us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Thought there was a catch. I read that the first time. If only it could just be me and God without people. (laughs) No. To love like God is to love people. Turn to your neighbor again and say, neighbor, what are you full of? What are you full of? Are you full of the right stuff or are you full of the wrong stuff? The right stuff leads to life. It leads to freedom. It leads to releasing life over people because the right stuff is love. But the wrong stuff, the wrong stuff is, uh, Julie calls the three amigos of pride, judgment, and unforgiveness. It's the wrong stuff, and it leads to control, which leads to death. Death in relationships, death in marriages, death in business, physical death. It just ends in death. In fact, John's saying here, if we don't understand the nature of God's love, if we don't fully wrap our heads around it, we fully can't even love God. If we have fear of punishment, it means we actually haven't understood his love at all. Because the love of God is freedom. Today, I'm going to tell you a story. The the topic of this message is um, love does not equal control. And uh, that might be the only time we actually say that, I don't know. So we'll just say, okay, I've said that, now I can justify the message. Because we'll probably talk a little bit about something else. That leads us to that place. If I could call this message something else, I would call it something like this, expository reflections over the broken and failing life of Mark. Probably be an accurate conversation, an accurate topic heading for today's message because I do not believe that we can talk about the nature of love without being very real. Anybody here giving me some permission to be real today? Yeah, yeah. Who who wants to be real? Who, Who gets sick of the pretend and the facade? I know I do. And so we can't go there without being very, very real. But before we get real, I want to talk to you about a fun story that still was a real story, but it was a fun story and it illustrates this point a little bit. So years ago, in Australia, and we were heathens back in the day, and we used to celebrate Guy Fawkes Night. If you don't know what that is, ask your mum and dad. But It's a bit of a, a, a pagan ritual thing, but it's a bit weird. Anyway, we'd gather a heap of people together, and they'd shoot off guns, and they'd set off fireworks, and we didn't really know the significance of it. We were just any excuse to make noise and get people together. So my brother-in-law and my sister had a great big bonfire every year that they would put together. My brother-in-law was a farmer, and he'd gather wood over his farm over the course of that year, and he'd pile it into one giant a big bonfire um, stack and we could never wait because it was Guy Fawkes night and we'd get all of our, our blowers and our skyrockets and all that stuff together. Well, we get out there this for, this night for Guy Fawkes night and my brother David comes, comes up to the pile of wood and he goes, the wood's a bit wet. I don't know if she's going to light. And so he says to me, I was about 10 or 11, old enough to ride a motorbike. He said, Mark, can you go back down to the dairy? And there's two great big bowsers, containers that hold the fuel in. he said, the one on the left has got diesel in it. He said, uh, can you go to the one on the left and get, uh, get the diesel out of there? He said, "Cause I might put that to help ignite this fire. I said, yeah, okay. One on the left, one on the le- left, left, okay. So I get in there, I take the motorbike, I ride down to the dairy and go to the one on the left. And I fill it up with diesel I bring it back and he gets the the thing and he opens it up and he's pouring it all over all the way around the fire and up and down and all over it goes. There's something you need to know about my brother-in-law is leading up to this point, he had a beautiful and was very proud of his moustache. It was a lovely moustache and he had quite a nice and healthy head of hair. So he strikes the match. The match didn't ask for any permission to be ignited into the fire because the actual stuff on the fire was not diesel at all. It was gasoline. And anybody who knows a little bit about chemistry knows that the ignition point of gasoline is a lot more volatile than that of diesel. And so as he struck that match, he could see the flame almost leap off the, off the bonfire onto his match and <laughs> up, she, up she went. And as up she went, away it went and my brother-in-law Dave suddenly had no moustache and all the hair from here right back to there disappeared. A man looked funny with no eyebrows. There's some days in a person's life Where you know what, you learn some new vocabulary And you want to write some things down That was one of those days He said some things that were very impressive To my very juvenile ears (laughs) I'd filled up with the wrong stuff So the right stuff leads to life The wrong stuff is always going to be destructive It's always going to have a much more volatile ignition point. Put it in the right circumstances. It doesn't need any permission. Just boom, it'll light up and it'll light up and scorch the earth around you. I want to ask you again this morning, what are you full of? As we confront Christmas, the story of God's love and released upon the earth, what are you full of? Are you full of the right stuff? The love of God, which leads to freedom and life? Or are you full of the wrong stuff? Judgment, pride, and unforgiveness that leads to control and leads to death. It's highly volatile. What are you full of? So, now to the story. We're going to go back a few years now, and this is a, a very candid story where I was chairing a board, an organization. I was a young man, and things had been going well. Our finances for that board historically were at an all-time high. Um, numbers and, and growth and health of the organization were also at an all-time high. And things were going along well, and we had it planned and slated down to, to have our annual general meeting preparation, which was going to be a finance meeting. I was chairing the board, and I came in with some figures of the, the year's um, you know, closing figures and some projections of where I thought we could go for the future. It's a pretty standard type of meeting like that. So I turned up to that meeting and I got totally blindsided because two weeks or two months or so beforehand, on that board, there were a couple of different families represented that I had uh, spoken about on that board to say, listen, I think there's been some issues here and some issues here and maybe you guys need to get together and sort it out and get some relationships healed together here because, you know, this is really unhealthy and maybe we could work together on this. And I thought that was all really good. What I didn't realize is that I'd, I'd got a big run, running back start and had a big running start towards the big red button that said, don't touch that conversation. And so I turn up to this meeting and I open up with, you know, okay, that was all gentlemen at that point, And so, hey, gentlemen, we've got uh, our, our proceedings tonight. I want to go through ABC. And one says, well, Mark, you know, can we maybe just adjourn that and push that off because there's some, there's some other subjects I'd like to talk about. And I said, oh, okay. And this was family A, representative said, you know what, I actually think I'd like to talk about, we're not happy about how you do A, B, C, and D. Huh? And then family B chimes in. He goes, yeah, and the way your wife does E, F, G, and H, yeah, we're not really happy with that either. I think we need to see some changes. My wife wasn't even on staff. Oh, that's curious. And then another family decides they're going to chime in And said, "Yeah, and we've seen some of the things that your kids are doing. And we're not overly impressed with that either. I think we need to see some changes here on this, 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 this." And I'm just sitting there, and I've turned up to a budgetary meeting, and now it's suddenly just this is a positional assassination attempt. Is what I find myself in the middle of, and it's just it's just coming for probably about an hour and a half to two hours. It's just coming because I'm just saying, i oh, I got nothing. I don't know. Well, I can try and justify. It. I don't know. just come, come." What on earth just happened? And I went home to, uh, to Julie and she goes, how did it go? I said, well, you I'm not sure how I tell you this, but let me just tell you what happened. And she's just no idea whatsoever. In that moment, there are many moments in all of our lives that are powerful moments where we have powerful decisions to make because we are all powerful people. In that moment, the powerful decision I had to make was, the, what am I going to be full of? And I'm going to be, still remain full of love, which leads to life And freedom, or am I going to drink from the well of the wrong stuff, judgment, pride, and unforgiveness, which leads to control and leads to death? I would love to sit here or stand here this morning and say, Well, it was tough, but I saw it through and I held on to love. But that wouldn't be true. (laughs) No, no, I wasn't that spiritual. I, I willingly went and I drank from the well of the wrong stuff. And I drank freely and I drank deeply. And my drinking freely and deeply caused my wife to also drink freely and deeply. And we stayed in a closed cycle. And we were on a pathway of destruction. What are you full of? The right stuff or the wrong stuff? We're going to read a story because it's Christmas time. We should probably have a Christmas story around Christmas time. And just to cheer ourselves up a little bit, let's go across to Matthew chapter 2 let's make sure i got that right i think it said chapter 2 last message so it seemed to be there matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through to 18 let's just do that matthew chapter 2 after the wise men were gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream get up flee to egypt with the child and his mother the angel said stay there until i tell you to return because herod is going to search for and kill him That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and with Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah when he said a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. What are you full of? The right stuff or the wrong stuff. Joseph was full of the right stuff. And it wasn't because he wasn't without choices and options to choose the wrong stuff. He was. If we remember the story, and I'm sure you're here at Christmas time, you've got a pretty fair idea of how the story goes. Joseph, confronted with the fact that his, um, his fiance was pregnant with a baby that wasn't his, and he runs a business, he's got a family, he's got a face to save, what does he do? Powerful man with a powerful decision to make. He chooses not to drink the wrong stuff, he drinks the right stuff, and out of love he chooses to stay with his wife, not knowing what that would mean for his business and his life and his family, on and on and on and on it goes. And so when the opportunity comes right there to choose the right stuff or the wrong stuff, now that persecution's coming, again, he just picks up his wife and his child and off he goes and runs. Compare that to Herod, who was full of the wrong stuff. So the wrong stuff always leads to control, which leads to death. Judgment, judgment, pride, unforgiveness, where one is, the other two are lurking. I don't want to... Assume that it's a very simple issue as to why we make the decision to take the wrong stuff instead of the right stuff. In fact, it's very complex and there's usually multiple layers to it. I don't presume to know why Herod chose the wrong stuff and not the right stuff. What happened in his life leading up to that moment? But I do know this. I know that something or things happened leading up to that moment for him that when ignition point came, it was scorched earth policy by by Herod. Some of the things that are very common to man, they're the ones that rarely get spoken of out aloud, but hey, let's just speak about them because they're sexual, um, uh, um, uh, what do we call it? Abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all of the abuses, list them all in a, in a, in a list. Other times it's because we've gone and done something to somebody else and we, don't, we struggle with our own self-judgment and unforgiveness of ourselves. That's the hardest person to forgive, by the way. Can't get a, you can't escape them. They stare at you in the mirror every day. Perhaps it's socioeconomic where maybe you started really poor in a poverty mindset and you can't break through that ceiling and you get stuck and then there's control. And for me, as I reflected on why did I not choose the right stuff? Why did I choose the wrong stuff? That was probably a key one for me. I grew up in a, a very lower socioeconomic family. I was loved dearly, but seven kids in a small house. And here I was, a blue-collar man come up into a white-collar world who who is now a peer in a white-collar environment. And I felt controlled as though I was trying to be squeezed out. And out of there, I reacted poorly. I drank from the well of the wrong stuff. So what did it look like? Well, let's get very honest here. As a professional communicator, I can be pretty good with words. That's a good side of being a professional communicator. The bad side is, is that I can be pretty good with words. I weren't many stones left unturned. In fact, uh, so intent was I to make sure no stone was left unturned, I thought, you know what, if that's what's going to happen, we're going to talk about Everything so I got out of my typewriter and I said yeah there was that and oh there was that and there was that and I've seen this as well and bang, and things that had never been spoken aloud in that particular place for you know nearly a century of underlying things that were just bubbling and I just thought you know I'm ripping the scab off it all we're going in after this thing and cleaning it out because I says I'm telling truth in love I then after I would uh, put all that together I decided you know what I need to print that out and I'm going to give that to every one of these members of this board team board and so I did And to my utter surprise, there was not repentance. (laughs) It put us in a spiral, a downhill spiral, because there was an ignition point inside of me that when the right time came, it ignited, and a scorched earth policy, because I was drinking from the wrong stuff. The wrong stuff, judgment, pride, unforgiveness, which leads to control and leads to death. And I was drinking freely and liberally, at that time I want you to write this question down and if you've got your phone with you particularly and and even if you haven't write it down it's such an important question I don't want anyone to leave without this question being written down if you've got it on your phone I want you to put it in as a reminder to come up at this time tomorrow just so that you remember to ask yourself this question and ask God to show you and reveal to you and this is the question it's not a very complicated one it's simply this what areas of your life are you filled with the wrong stuff Oh, it would be nice to say all our life is just one big hole and it's beautiful, but we've got a Greek mindset because we've all studied through schools that have a Greek mindset and we compartmentalize them. I'm not going to go after that today, so let's just deal with what is. There are compartments in our life where we have still got the wrong stuff. And we wonder why we're not getting breakthrough, wonder why we're not getting miracles, wonder why there's these ceilings that we hit in our spiritual growth. It's because in these areas we've still got the wrong stuff. We need to ask God the question. There were some evidences of things that happened to us during that time that showed us that we had truly drunken from the wrong stuff. The first one of those can be found over in Psalms chapter 32 and verse 5, if you've got your Bibles there. It says this, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave all. My, or you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. i say it again. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, I stopped trying to hide my guilt. Let's say that together. Stop trying to hide my guilt. Hiding is a very natural thing to do when you're drinking from the wrong stuff. The first thing that I find is that that, that hiding impacts intimacy with people. Julie and I formed a closed system, and if we didn't stay in that close, if, if we stayed in that closed system, we would not be in ministry today. We would have blown ourselves apart. It would have been a natural byproduct. Of that taking place. But we had two dear friends in our life at that time that demanded that every week we would spend time with them. What were they? They were circuit breakers to that system. Oh, they would let us speak and we'd talk about the things that had happened and whatever, and then they'd bring correction and truth and bring life and cause us to go, oh, maybe we haven't seen this right, or maybe there is that, or maybe these other 10 things. We actually were able to, to release some of the pressure because it left to our own devices, our own closed system, we would have just imploded. And self-destructed. It's the first thing that you notice. You think, well, that's pretty odd that it's the first thing. Surely it'll be intimacy with God that would be the first thing. No, it's not, and this is why it's pretty wild, is because in that point, we're still justifying that we're hearing from God okay, and he agrees with us. So me and God in that moment, we're like this. Oh, I'm telling truth in love, and I'm firing from the hip. Truth in love, truth in love. In actual fact, there's been a disconnect from heaven. I don't know what I'm hearing from, but it sure isn't God. Probably my own opinions, my own press, my own whatever it is, because that's what happens in those moments. Again, I'm just getting very real. You can't, don't have breakthrough in life without reality. That's what drinking from the wrong stuff does. It, it just puts a filter over truth. And I drank plenty of the wrong stuff. So, first of all, is that it affects our intimacy with people. Secondly, it does eventually impact intimacy with God. If you had time, we'd go into Luke chapter 5. Write that scripture down because it's well worth going after and taking a look. It's that beautiful story of of Jesus, Peter the businessman, fisherman, who has the catch of a lifetime. And I mean, I could imagine what must have been going through his head because I've been in business a long time in Australia before coming here. And now we not only run ministry, we run a, uh, I'm a for-profit business as well. So I, know, I understand a little bit of the business world. And, and you could imagine Peter, because he's been out fishing all night and he's like, man, you know, I've put all this time and effort and money into these things. And is there something wrong with the fellas I got? Is it my team? Is it this? Is it that? Maybe it's our marketing game. Whatever it is, we're not catching any fish. Maybe there's new techniques we need to read up on. Maybe the old things don't work anymore. The fish are outsmarting us. Then what is it? We've been on doing this all our lives. So he came down to Jesus and Jesus comes in and said, hey, Peter, why don't you just go back out one more time and just don't go over there. Just try going over there. And by the way, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. That's a very insulting thing to say to a professional businessman who knows his field very well. But you know, what's the guy got to lose? He goes, hey, I'll do that. So he gets over there and suddenly it's tug, 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 tug on the nets and there's this haul of fish and they're bouncing out of the water and it's just going crazy and they're, they're shouting over the noise of the water and the fish going, come over here, and come and get some to this fish for everyone! I mean, this is the harvest of a lifetime. Can you imagine, if, as a businessman, where suddenly all the stocks go through the roof, or the marketing campaign? It's just like we have just found the goose that lays the golden egg. Jesus, you're coming on as a consultant because you and I, we're going to go a long way together. I mean, could you just imagine what that was going to be like? Things, were, and this would be a realistic um, response from Peter, but it's not the response we get. Actually, in fact, we get a very opposite response. No, see, what Peter realizes is something that you and I possibly wouldn't have picked up on. He's a man who knows the the, the sea, he knows fishing, he knows nature. That's been his wheelhouse, that's his area of expertise and professionalism. And he knows in the natural, no one catches that many fish, especially over there. No one catches, it. This is no one's ever, even in the history of their family traditions, that go away. No one's ever spoken of a catch like this before. Now, the only way you catch this many fish in that kind of context is when God super partners with a natural. This is a supernatural proposition, and no one has authority over nature except God Himself. <gasps> I got God in the boat. What's Peter's response? Peter falls to his knees says the most curious thing. Get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Now, the, the fish flopping around just fell deathly silent in Peter's world in that moment when he realized what was going on. So this is what happens when you have a real encounter with God, is you start to see that you're full of the wrong stuff in some areas of your life. Now, I don't pretend to know what wrong stuff Peter had or what area of his life that he had, but I sure know he had some or he would not have responded that way. And maybe you've never had it highlighted to you because you purposely never positioned yourself into a face-to-face encounter with God. It's always a really humbling experience because it helps you to see where you're still drinking the wrong stuff. Oh, it affects your intimacy with God. It's amazing how busy we can get. Oh, I don't have time for my client time today. I don't have time to go to church this week. I don't have time for my small group. I don't have time to fill in the gap when we're drinking liberally from the wrong stuff. Starts by isolating ourselves from people, ends up isolating ourselves from God. Another great example of people who drank from the wrong stuff, and it's the first indicator that we see, is over in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve going about the business with God. They're in the garden, they're doing the thing, they're naming animals, they're having fun, they're eating fruit, it's an amazing time. And then one thing happens, which we all know, the, you know, Eve ate the fruit. Adam's standing right there. Hey, wow, this is pretty good. Why don't you say, so, have some? Because what this serpent says, he can think he's onto something. But then something happens. So you can just imagine God. Oh, I can't wait to hang out with Adam and Eve. It's going to be a great day today. He's going along. They're usually around these parts. I wonder where they are. He's going and going. What's that noise over there? Huh. Hey, Adam! Huh. What are you doing hanging out over there? Um, well, God, we're we're naked. We're naked. We're, I'm doing this and so she, because this is not this is not real. We're, we're not, I have not got enough hands, God. It's the first time in the Bible where I really think if God wore an expression of confusion, that was the time. Who told you that? Where where did you pick up this information from? Who told you you were naked? You see, what happened to Adam and Eve happens to us when we drink the wrong stuff because it happened to them when they drank the wrong stuff, was that their view of God was fractured to start with. The things that were meant for freedom, now they saw as control. This happens when our view of God is fractured. As a pastor, the many times I've sat with people who say, well, I just think sex before marriage is great, and this thing's done something else, and God's just trying to control us anyway. No, no, that's a broken view of God. God's not trying to control you. He's trying to set you free. When you've got a broken view of God, if somewhere in your life you've got the wrong stuff, you will start to see God as a controlling God. That's why the scriptures say, if you fear punishment, you don't understand God's always perfect love. You simply haven't got a clue because that's not who he is. He's the God who gives rules and parameters and, and, and laws for freedom, not to try and control you. Oh, there's been so many years in my life where deep down inside I've had a view of God that said God's trying to control Mark. And in that kind of place, that is a fearful place to live. It's a horrible place to live. And when someone else is trying to control you, you can sort of get away from that. But if you think God's trying to control you, there's no escaping that. I'm probably all alone in this one, but I'm guilty as charged in thinking, is there anybody else who has ever felt God has tried to control them? Yeah, four people. (laughs) I'm in great company today. I'll take four. (laughs) Seriously, it is the most disturbing place to be, but it demonstrates a fractured view of who God is, and we have a fractured view of who God is when in some area of our life, we are full of the wrong stuff. Not only is it a fractured view of who God is, but it becomes a fractured view of our own identity. And we see this identity statement that comes to Adam and Eve. See, leading up to that point, they were son and daughter of God. That is who they were. And God's coming through looking for them. He wants to speak with them and talk with them again as his son and daughter. And in that moment, Adam gives himself and Eve a new definition. He identifies them as something other than son and daughter of God. It's the first time in all of human history, in all of human existence, that it happens that man redefines himself. And he says, we are naked. It's a redefinition. It's a fracturing of the image of God. That's what it does. It's the reality of drinking the wrong stuff is that we have a faulty view of God, we have a faulty view of ourselves. You're full of the right stuff, love, which leads to freedom and life, or you're full of the wrong stuff, control, which comes from pride, judgment, and unforgiveness, and leads to death. We're going to jump across to here. Jump across quickly. To Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. If you've got your Bibles there. uh, Sorry, Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. I'm going to read you a scripture that was a conundrum for me for a long time. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself no commandment is greater than these and I think well Mark you're a little bit daft because that's pretty self explanatory why did you have a problem with it Well, let me explain what my problem was let me get this out of the way so you can see my problem looked like this We called him Fred last time. Let's call him Frank in case Fred's got a bit of an identity issue with me. So God says here, Mark, why don't you love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? Okay, I I can have a crack at that. And then he says this rather odd thing. He says, Mark, now, by the way, why don't you love Frank as you love yourself? There's the problem. You see, God's love is always perfect. Mark's love simply is not. So God has seriously lowered the bar when he says, Mark, Love love Frank as you love yourself. You see, it actually would be a lot easier for me to say, well, Mark, love, love Frank the way I love Frank down here. Do that because then I can just look and go, "All right, what are the five steps I've got to do to love Frank the way God loves Frank? I can do that in performance. I can put on the happy face and the mask and I'm loving you, Frank, just like Jesus. Oh, God's love is just beautiful, Frank. And I am exuding it to you. That's very easy to do that. But do this. And and have it look something like this? Uh, There's a totally new set of propositions right there. Because in this type of relationship, Mark simply cannot hide that he can't stand, Frank. Simply cannot hide from that. See, the reason God was was putting this this thing in place instead of this one in place was he's saying in order for this to happen in any kind of way that's healthy, Mark needs to understand who God is so that he can understand the way God sees Mark. In other words, Mark doesn't get off the hook because ultimately God is inviting Mark to intimacy with him. It's an intimacy invitation that God is giving me when he gives this particular word of Mark, love Frank the way you love yourself. God's saying, press into me and I'll reveal to you. See, what happens with this is this is one of the most humbling experiences of my entire life. When I dare to go after that and I choose to say, God, I will love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And I mean it. I'm going in and I'm going after that. And I start to see a fuller revelation of his goodness, of his kindness, of his always perfect love and the way he lavishes it upon me. And then he shows me me through his eyes. And I go, but I know broken Mark, and broken Mark's an ugly Mark sometimes. Broken Mark's not a Mark you want to be around all the time. And I see that view of God that he loves me anyway. Anyway, I can't help but be in this place. And I go, God, you love me perfectly always. Even when I'm writing letters to Frank on my board, telling him all these horrible things that he's done. You love me still? Yes. I love you still. Come and walk with me a while. Be with me a while. Because Mark, I love you. In that encounter, there's a difference between information and transformation. Information is knowing that. Transformation is living that. See in that moment, even though Frank is still broken, just like Mark, I start to see Frank through God's eyes. And I start to love Frank the way God loves Frank, even though it's happening this way, I'm starting to see what this looks like. And it's the most powerful thing in the world. So let's find the happy ending to this very long-winded story. I was sitting home one night and I read 1 Corinthians 14.1 and it simply says this after the beautiful opus on love, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14.1 So let love be your highest goal. And I was chewing on that like a cow chews its cut and I went to sleep thinking about that and I woke up in the early hours of the morning and the Lord simply said a few words. He says, Mark, do you trust me? And I'd been traveling long enough in this journey by now many, many months to know what he was asking me to do. Mark, you're ready to love Frank or the board the way I do. So I thought, well, it's time, isn't it? So I went to my computer and I thought, if it's good enough to use my words to point out all these things, it's good enough to seek forgiveness and type this out and call the board together. And so I wrote and I typed and I put things together. I called a meeting. And the following day, the board gathered around, albeit rather tentatively. And I handed out the piece of paper to everybody at that board. And I said, gentlemen, please just take as long as you need to read this. So they read it. And then I said, now I'm going to read it to you. And I said, when I said this to you, Frank, my reason for saying this was to hurt you the way I felt hurt. And that was wrong. That's sin. I seek your forgiveness. John, when I said this to you and those words were put on the page, this is what was going through my mind. And that, that was sin. John, I didn't see you the way God sees you. I saw you out of my own hurt. And that was wrong seek your forgiveness I went around every single one and I, I spelled that out and we spent a good time there was some tears and everything in that particular moment I want to say this the true miracle of that moment is not that the board suddenly gained cohesion and unity again the true miracle of that moment is that I was suddenly filled with the right stuff I was free. I was alive. Uh, There's something broke inside of me where I stepped away from judgment, pride, and unforgiveness, and I put that behind, and I walked over here, and I drank freely of the right stuff, and it was liberating. It breathed life into dead places. It was bringing people alive again. That was the true miracle of the moment. I started to see God in a total new way because I could see me in a new way and I could see others in a new way. Tuesday at 2 p.m. just gone, your time, Julie and I were in the oldest city in Holland, a place called Dordrecht. And we're meeting with the European leader of God TV, uh, God at Work, which is a program on God TV. And a very influential fellow who's got lots of connections and as many had said before us, he's sitting opposite. We're on a beautiful little canal and we're having a nice dinner and he, he shared, we were sharing backwards and forwards. He was hearing what we were about and what we were doing. And he said the, you know, the $10 million question, Mark, what can I do for you and Julie and what you're doing? Because so it really resonates in a strong Dutch accent, of course. And I said what we've actually come to say many times over and we really mean it. I said, you know what, Theo? I said... I don't actually want you for anything. But I said, this one thing, can I just learn to love you more? And I want to allow you to learn to love me more. The the Dutch have an expressionless face a lot of the times. In fact, it's probably the Aussie accent because it happens all over the world, even with my own people. An expressionless face. And I thought, did he actually understand what I said? And then a big smile comes across his face and he looks at Julie and I and he said, this is, this is such wonderful news and such terrible news all at the same time. I said, why is that? He said, it's wonderful news because he said, it's just it's, it just, it's liberating. It's exciting to hear someone live out love this way when you could ask me for anything. He said, it's terrible news because he says, in 20 years of ministry at the highest level around the world, this is only the second time I've ever seen it. And it just struck me. I thought, Lord, how many years have I been that guy that said, oh, love is highest, love is this. But it's been way down on my agenda of priorities. No, oh, I trace it back to that night where an encounter with God's always perfect love. What a change in this thing. Oh, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Those who know me well enough know that. They don't tell Pastor the lull. You just keep that between us <laughs> no no I've just learned that when we drink liberally and freely from the right stuff it breathes life because it's who God is I'm just looking at our time and we probably don't have time to go through the little chair thing I'm wondering if it's the first ones recorded maybe they could sorry Okay, oh, that's all right. cool. So jump on and take a look at the other one there's a really cool little activation that's a very powerful one. I'm just looking at the time. It's already five past 12. Lowell was talking forever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but so I want to I leave you with some practical tools. But it's how to stop. We've got the tools to help you how to stop drinking the wrong stuff and taking hold of the right stuff. Because when we can release judgment, pride and unforgiveness... And we can take hold of encounters with his always perfect love. We move from information to transformation. And we, the body of Christ, learn to love one another the way God loves us. Father, this morning, this is really at the heart of the Christmas message. Love and control are diametrically opposed. Control is the antithesis of love. It's not something that we can have both and. We don't get that luxury. No. No, if we're truly to know your always perfect love, we've got to let go of the wrong stuff. We've got to dare to question what are we full of? Lord, in this moment right now, in this time, would you reveal to us... What wrong stuff is resting still in our lives? What wrong stuff that you're calling us to let go of? And Lord, the pathway to taking hold of the right stuff. Having encounters with your always perfect love. Because you are a good God who loves us in the midst of our mess and our brokenness. And as we encounter that love, We see you for who you are. We see ourselves for who we are. We get to love Frank the way you love Frank, whoever Frank is in our world. And I'm sure we've all got a few. So Lord, in this moment, may we not leave this place today without at least being willing to say, Father, show that to me. Maybe you know who Frank is in your life. And this morning you want to say, I just kind of come to the altar. Say, Lord, I make a decision today to let go of the wrong stuff. Judgment, pride and unforgiveness, which is controlling and leads to death. And instead, take hold of the right stuff, love, which releases freedom and brings life. As 2018 closes and 2019 opens, This is what we are called to as the body of Christ, to love one another as Christ has loved us. So I invite the prayer team to come forward. This is not a time of judgment. This is a house of freedom and a house of love. Maybe there's some things that you just want to release this morning. There's some people you want to release some wrong stuff you want to let go of some right stuff you want to take hold of and this is a time to be able to do that. This is a time to say right now God change me. I don't want information I want transformation I want an encounter with your always perfect.